Messiah would come and do this. Now they're dejected. It says, sad. They say, the one that we'd hoped was going to uh, deliver us has, has been crucified. Crucified by our high priests and the rulers, which would infer the rulers of the synagogues and the, and the temple, as well as the rulers uh, being Rome. And, and he says, and he's been crucified. And now his tomb is empty. They, they, they think, you know, they say he's resurrected, but we just don't know what's going on. And they're walking along on their way to Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. And Jesus speaks to them. And again, what he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets have spoken. And he begins to tell them that from the beginning of, of the Scriptures, Moses, Moses, writer of Genesis, Exodus, you know, and, and on through the first five books of the Bible. And, and then all the rest of the prophets. And he explains to them all those scriptures referring to him. What they were waiting for was the deliverance from Rome, basically. This is what they were hoping for. And yet there was so much more than they expected. It was bigger than what they imagined. God's plan was much more than, than what they were, they were looking for. And it's a plan that was put together before the foundation of the world. Uh, the book of Ephesians puts it very simply. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That alone is an amazing scripture. Uh, a whole nother sermon, but it just, he's blessed us with all of the blessings that are possible in the, from the heavenly places. And he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he had blessed us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. This word lavish means more than abundantly enough. He gave us more than enough grace to cover our sins. In all wisdom and insight, He is making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time until uh, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to pray to the praise of His glory in Him also you have uh, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. 
This is what Christ has accomplished in His first coming. And we are looking forward to in His second coming. And so, the hope of Israel in the Old Testament has translated into the hope of, of the Christians of the New Testament. We are still waiting in hope for Christ's coming. This time, His second coming. And what will happen at that point? We will be united with Him eternally. It's something that He planned before the foundation of the world and put into effect. And He made everything that needed to happen at just the right time happen in order to accomplish His purpose. And so we end up having this great hope in ourselves as well that we have eternal life, that we have the Holy Spirit in us who has sealed us for this very purpose. Before the foundation of the world. And so all through the Old Testament there are hints. Now, I want to read one particular one simply because it's the first hint. And it's found in chapter 3 of Genesis. Chapter Genesis, we have the record of the fall. Satan tempting Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. They do. And resulting in all of them receiving a condemnation from God. The one that Satan received is recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. This is what the Lord said to the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and on the, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And here, very important to us, I will put enmity or strife between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan, this offspring of the woman will bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. The interesting thing here is that the word offspring is literally the word seed, And it is singular, not plural. So it refers to a specific child of woman will be born. And Satan will bruise his heel. That takes us right to the cross. Satan shall bruise his heel. But he says, your head, Satan, will be crushed. And what that is is an old time picture of being put into submission, where the conqueror puts his foot over your head. He doesn't literally, it bruises the head is what it does. And and the idea is, is that you are now conquered. So the one who Satan bruises the heel of, the seed of the woman, will conquer Satan. There's only one in Scripture that that goes to, and that's Jesus Christ. So in the very, as soon as man falls, God starts to unfold his plan and say, there's going to be a seed of a woman who's going to destroy you, Satan. (laughs) He's going to put full authority over you and conquer you. 
And so there's the first prophetic picture of the coming of Christ. And as we look at that, we say, well, you know, if there was 300 of them, uh, you know, almost, uh, you know, and the number, most of those fulfilled at the time that Christ uh, came and through His life. Uh, has anybody gone through and compiled lists and stuff? Well, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Peter uh, Stoner who did a great study on these prophetic uh, scriptures. And he and a person very uh, strong in mathematics worked out some possibilities. And what I'd like to share with you is, and maybe some of this you've heard before, is some amazing things. The first thing they came up with was 48 key scriptures. Uh, and they started to do the math on what the possibility of one person fulfilling those scriptures, either on purpose or accidentally. I mean, you know, it was you know, it wasn't the the question, and and they came up with an I, I'm just going to say an astronomical number. And they said, well, let's pare this down a little bit, and they picked out eight scriptures, and they came up with the math for this. Now, listen, the, the first scripture is that the Messiah, the Christ, must be born in Bethlehem. You find the Scripture that announces that He will be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And you'll recall when the Magi came to find the Messiah, the, the King of the Jews, uh, they went to Herod and Herod had to ask some of his uh, uh, court uh, rulers uh, you know, where the Christ was to be born. And they said, oh, in Bethlehem. That was because they knew the Scripture. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, they say, oh, he's got to be born in Bethlehem. They go to Bethlehem and what do they find? The Messiah. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It says also in Mark and Luke both that there was going to be a forerunner of, of, of Christ. John the Baptist. Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, an, elder, an elderly man. His wife was getting older, Elizabeth. They had no children. You can read about this in, in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And, and, and so, uh, he's serving in the temple and an angel appears to him and tells him that his, his, the desire of his heart, basically, is being honored. That he's going to have a son. And of course, his thought was, how is that possible? My wife is past childbearing age and I'm an old man. It's not going to happen. By the way, he lost his speech until after his son was born uh, for not believing what the angel had to say. And it did occur. It did happen. Now, it's interesting. Elizabeth and Mary are cousins. The forerunner of Jesus is his cousin, John. John the Baptist, as we ended up calling him. He was the forerunner. And Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, there will one come heralding the Christ. He will come ahead of the Christ and announcing Him. When, when John the Baptist saw Jesus, before he had ever gotten in, uh, involved with Him, and apparently they did not run into each other uh, growing up, 
He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he immediately started proclaiming Him. He was the forerunner, the one who would declare the Christ. They point Him out in the crowd. In the book of Zechariah, there are three prophecies that I find amazing in, in the sense that, as the, the fact that they were fulfilled. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says that the Deliverer or the, uh, or the Messiah of Israel will come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, I thought, you know, of all of the prophecies, that's one he could kind of make happen, right? Yeah, I mean, let's face it, it's one that he could do. Pretty low odds, but, you know, he does enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. We see that in Matthew chapter 21. It also says, uh, and I'm going to put one in between here in the, in the Zechariah list, in, in the Psalms, in Psalm 41, it says that he's going to be betrayed by, his, by a friend, one of his disciples. And of course, we know in Luke chapter 22, he's betrayed by Judas. Now, this is what is really interesting to me because we go back to Zechariah chapter 11 and find out that it says that he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be betrayed for the price of 30 pieces of silver. And that the 30 pieces of silver, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. The 30 pieces of silver is exactly what they gave to Judas. Okay, now, in addition to that, Zechariah prophesies that the 30 pieces of silver will be thrown to the potter to buy the potter's field. And that's exactly what happened with the money. Judas threw the money into the temple and it purchased a potter's field. The potter's field is where the indigent and, and, and poor are buried. And, and so, it, it, these things are just literal. They happen. And, and it's, not, it's not like in a general... I mean, 30 pieces of silver, buying a potter's field, you know. These things are, are amazing. And, and somebody says, well, people could make it happen. You know, they can make these things happen. Do you think the Jewish leadership wanted this to happen this way? Do you think they would have bought the potter's field if they were thinking they were fulfilling messianic prophecy? You know, they, it, it's just... Uh, they would, wouldn't have done it, you know. Uh, and then it says... Uh, that Christ would be crucified in a, in a prophetic picture put forth in Psalm 22. I don't know if you've ever uh, read this psalm or not, but let me share part of it with you this morning. The psalm starts off in its first verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? takes us to the cross, the words of Christ. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? In other words, he's, he's sharing his pain and his suffering on the cross here. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. I'm abandoned, is what he feels. Of course, what's 
the process that's going on. He's in the, in the throes of pain for our sins. He has to be experiencing what it is to be separated from God. He has to know that pain. He has to know that suffering. And that's what's happening. He looks down, I read just down a little bit further, how he views how he's being perceived by those around him at the foot of the cross. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. You recall the scriptural uh, gospel accounts said that they were mocking him. Hey, if you're really the Christ, come down off the, down off the cross. Take yourself. You know, all of these different things. They make, their, they, they make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. They shake their heads at him. Uh, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Another part of, of Psalm 22, it says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Again, I don't want to be... I want to be careful not to, to, to do, say more than is necessary. But you have to understand that the part of the pain of the cross wasn't just the, the, the process of him being nailed to the cross, but when they put the cross up, it had to be shoved into a hole that would hold it upright. Fairly deep hole. And the way they did that was they had ropes that they used to pull the cross up and then this guy with this big, huge hammer is whacking at the bottom of it until it slides into the hole. Can you imagine? Have you ever stepped off the curb and, and jolted your back or your body and you paid, felt pain literally from your, your foot to your neck kind of? And it's just, just that little bit of, of, of step. Can you imagine what that kind of a jolt would be like? It's, as he says, my, I can see all my ribs. They're hanging there. They, he's separated. His bones are, are torn apart in a sense. Uh, the, the cartilage is torn apart. And so he, he comments, he says, again, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. All my tongue sticks to my jaws. You, uh, you lay me in the dust of my death. It says he's thirsty. What were the words on the cross? I thirst. You know, it, it's just, it parallels. And he says, the dogs have encompassed me. A company evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. What happened at the foot of the cross with the soldiers? They cast lots for his clothing. By the way, at the time that this was written, there was no crucifixion being done. It wasn't a form of punishment yet. And yet we get an amazingly accurate description of it. And then to top it, he says, and at the bottom of the cross, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of where I'm hanging here, they are casting lots for my clothing. And that's exactly what happened. Well, the Peter Stoner and his associates did a, like I said, really moving uh, on, on in math and, and trying to find mathematical odds for these kinds of things. How many of you read Josh McDowell, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict? 
if you've read this book or uh, possibly uh, he has a smaller version of, of a, a collection of some of that, um, you might have, have, have read some of this information because he quotes a lot of it and, and evidence that demands a verdict. The odds of one man fulfilling the eight prophecies that I just shared with you, the ones from, from Micah, Zechariah, and, uh, and Psalms, and Isaiah, the odds of one man fulfilling these eight prophecies is one in a quadrillion. First off, I didn't know there was a quadrillion number. Quadrillion ten with 17 zeros after it. One in ten to the 17th power. That's the odds of eight. The odds of 48 that I have the list of up here if anybody wants to look at it is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. They don't have a name for that number. And uh, you start to look at these things. These were the things that I was starting to read before I became a Christian. I'm saying, oh, wait a minute. And I, I kept going over it and over and over. And the more I went over it, the more I found in the depth of some of these prophecies. And I realized it's, it's amazing. God so identified what was going to happen to Christ from His birth to His death to His resurrection. In the Old Testament, He so identified it that it, it was the credentials, if you will, of the one who would accomplish it. Whoever would accomplish all of these things would be the Messiah. And only one has been able to do it. There have been false messiahs before him, during him, and after him. But none of them could lay claim to the Scripture. And so Jesus shared with these men on the road to Emmaus. I don't know which ones He shared with them. I, I can't help but feel He went right back to Genesis chapter 3. But, but the idea is, is that they are the credentials. We have the identification credentials for who is the Messiah. And Jesus is the only one who fulfills it. Most of the people who refuse to accept Jesus as a supernatural being, God in the flesh, the Messiah, still acknowledge His existence, His birth, and His death and burial. They just stop there. But with what we have, what we've seen, what we hear, and, and, and the fulfillment of so many Old Testament prophecies, we can sit here and rest with confidence. And then we're blessed on top of that, as I shared with you from Ephesians chapter 1, that we have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is here to open our eyes to help us to understand bit by bit, piece by piece, building block by building block, who the Christ is and what He has done for us, and the plan of God and His deliverance and salvation, and what is planned for eternity. And it's done bit by bit. This is why pastors encourage their congregation, please be reading the Word on a regular basis, because you build on it. There'll be a day where you're reading something here, and like we were just reading, like, like here, for instance, it says, you know, uh, they have, uh, they have pierced my hands and my feet. And you think, oh my goodness, that goes with this over here. 
they pierced his hands and his feet in John. Or, uh, you know, it's, it's, it goes together so completely. And God unfolds it. And He unfolds it at different speeds and different levels for each of us because all of us come from a different place. And so, what I'm sharing with you today might be a repeat of something that you've known for years or it might be the first time you hear it. <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter. We're reminded and assured again and again and again through our preaching, through our teaching, through our reading. Christ is the Son of God. He came to save us. God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him shall be saved. So if we confess with our heart, uh, mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Christ, God raised from the dead, we are saved. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing Savior we have. And then to have the Holy Spirit as, as that uh, in us, helping us to see, to understand, and to know the God of all creation, the God of our salvation. The, uh, as we approach communion this morning, uh, I'd like to, uh, we're still doing the trays up front, and uh, during the communion song, if you would come up and pick up the communion, uh, self-serve, so to speak, you may also pick up for someone else that you're sitting with if you, if you want to. And uh, on this side, we have the cup with the grape juice and the bread separated in it, and it but it's open, and the other side is a sealed uh, communion packet, so... Uh, whichever you prefer, feel free to take while we're singing the communion song. Hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together at the conclusion of the song. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Through the shadows of my soul, the work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope, who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? A God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. 
Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Jesus at what we traditionally call the Last Supper uh, with His disciples. He says to them, this is what occurred, it says, He took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it, and He gave it to them, saying, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And likewise, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share these Emblems that represent Your love and Your mercy to us. The reality that You came in the flesh. That You died on the cross, poured out Your blood. We thank You that You purchased our salvation. But we also look at the same time, Lord, as we share this moment of of the bread and the cup, the reality that You conquered the grave. We can now join Paul and say, Death, where is Your sting? Because we know that we have eternal life in You. We thank You for what You have done for us, what You are doing, what You are yet to do. We rest with confidence, not only in the grace that You've poured out on us, but in the promises that You've given us. 
for eternal life. We worship You. We praise You. May You be the focus of our Christmas. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? And uh, thank you for being here. We have some refreshments in the back. And again, we have the two sign-up sheets uh, out in the foyer. The one for the um, Christmas potluck, which is Saturday the 3rd of December. And the other one uh, for um, the gift exchange, which is the 2nd of December, Friday, December 2nd. of the day.